Good morning. Um, for those of you who haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, we've been doing a series on practical Christianity. Um, in the morning last week, we started by looking at our need for practical Christianity, and we mentioned the fact that we needed uh, to be practical in our faith for two reasons. Um, we mentioned the fact that what we believe is shown through our actions, whether we like it or not. And we use the example of flying in an aeroplane. And if we believe that flying in an aeroplane is safe, then there'll be no problem. We'll get on the aeroplane and we'll fly. But if we believe that getting on the aeroplane and flying is unsafe, then we'll be reluctant to get on board. So faith is more than just an intellectual knowledge about what should happen. But it's, uh, faith is what we truly believe will happen. And we show what we really believe by the way in which we act. The second reason we mentioned that we needed uh, to be practical in our faith was the fact that when we become a Christian, when we gain that faith, the Bible tells us that we are born again, that we are new creations. So in being born again, we are different people and therefore we should act differently. Um, and we use the, the illustration of a monkey becoming a man. Um, a monkey doesn't do works of a man to become a man. But if a monkey was made into a man, he would do the works of a man. So a Christian, a sinner becoming a Christian doesn't do the works of a Christian to become a Christian. But if through God's grace we, be, uh, we get that faith, we become a Christian, we will then act uh, out what we believe. And then uh, last week in the evening, we were looking at how the church was doing, both on a whole, on a worldwide scale, um, and we looked a bit at the role of the church and then we also looked at how we were doing as Windsor Baptist Church and trying to see where we could uh, serve better or improve what we did. And as I mentioned, uh, part of our discussion was looking at the role of church and we came up with many roles for the church but one of the roles that we came up for uh, was our role of representing Christ. Uh, the Bible calls us his body so we are his body to the community around us. Um, it talks about us being his ambassadors, his representatives uh, to the people uh, around us. It talks about us being a priesthood. It talks about us being a holy nation. And it talks about us being a light. And so we are there to reveal who God is to the people around us. That's part of our role as church and as Christians. And this morning we're going to be a bit looking a bit more in depth at that role. Um, we're going to be trying to see how we can better be his body to the community around us on earth. How we as a church can be Jesus to our community. And in order to do this, I think it's important for us to look at Jesus and to see what he was like to the community around him. Now obviously we're not going to be cover, able to cover all of what Jesus was like um, through his 33 years of a perfect life in just 30 minutes. That would be less than a minute a year, and I think you'd be confused, as I would be. So I'm going to be trying to concentrate on one area, one area that I've been particularly challenged by. There are many themes I could look at, as I mentioned. Um, this series of sermons, this could be a series of sermons that ran all year long. Um, we could be looking at the fact that Jesus was the light of the world, and we could be looking at our role as light, exposing darkness and guiding the way. We could be looking at the fact that Jesus was the way, uh, not just one of many ways, but the way. We could be looking uh, at the fact that Jesus was truth, 
in a question that, in a world that questions whether truth exists. We could be covering all sorts of things like his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, um, and so many other topics. But as I said, I'm going to pick one area that I've been particularly challenged by, and I'm going to cover that with the remainder of this service. So the topic that I've been challenged by, um, it's come out of uh, How Can We Love You stuff, and it's come out of a lot of things I've been thinking about recently. It is how do we love those around us who are difficult to love? We all know that the greatest commandment, or most of us will know that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments cover all the law. So I believe that we are called to love everyone in society. When Jesus was asked to explain who his neighbor was, he gave an example of the Good Samaritan. And the Samaritans and Jews were, em- were enemies. So he said, even your enemies uh, are your neighbors, and they are the people that you ought to love. You ought to love everybody around you. In Matthew chapter 5, during Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you only greet your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus points out that God loves his enemies as well as the people who are close to him. He pours out, he gives rain and he gives sunshine to the evil and the good. And if we are going to represent God as his body on earth, then that's something that we need to be doing too. Last week at the end of the evening service, I ended with a challenge. Um, I'd been reading a book called Ladies and Gentlemen, The Church Has Left the Building. And in the book, the author of the book had had a dream that Jesus had come to him and had spoken to him and said, why not um, do a Christian festival because he, he organized Christian festivals. And he said, why not do a Christian festival that I would like to come to? And this book is the author trying to work out what type of festival that would be and his plan to, to do that festival in London. And at the end of last evening's service, we, um, we, we turned that question around and we said, well, what happens if Jesus came to us and said, why not be a church that I would like to come to? And we considered the type of people uh, that Jesus would have spent time with if he was in a church that he would like to come to. We considered um, the fact that he spent a lot of time with uneducated fishermen, so the working class. We considered that he spent time with tax collectors. Um, these are the people that were seen as betrayers. They, they had sold out to the Romans, and so it would have been very difficult for a Jewish teacher to spend time with them. He spent time with uh, prostitutes. Again, um, not very easy if you're a great moral teacher to spend time with. He spent time with um, one of his disciples was called Simon the Zealot. And the Zealots were a group of people who were zealously opposed to Roman rule and were um, always trying to start up um, 
some sort of movement against them and they would be trying, hatching plans to try and overthrow this Roman rule. And so they would have been seen as the paramilitaries of their day. And these would have been quite difficult people for Jesus to spend time with if he was preaching uh, a message of love and forgiveness, of turning the other cheek. So the people that Jesus spent time with were not easy people to spend time with. And it always intrigues me as I think about um, his disciples, his closest bunch. He has a tax collector in there, somebody who is sold out to the Romans, and he's also got a zealot somebody who is vehemently opposed to the Romans within his own group of closest disciples. So, but I'm not going to go off in that direction, but it's interesting to think about. So at the end of last evening, we ended up with the conclusion that Jesus would probably want to go to a church that welcomed people like these into it. People, a church that welcomed or looked after the outcasts in society, that spent time with them. But I'm sure that it's true for you as it is for me that you would find it difficult to spend time with these people, that we would struggle uh, to know what to do with these people in the church, to know how to show love to them. Um, And we don't even have to look at such extremes to realize that we have people who are difficult to love in our lives. We can look much closer to home Um, even within our homes or our families and find that there are people there that we would struggle to love and spend time with. Um, People who are different from we are in some ways. People who need more than they can ever give back. People with whom our personalities do not match and these people too are difficult to spend time with. So how do we love such people? This is a difficult question, I think, to answer, and we only have 30 minutes, and I know I'm not going to cover the whole topic in that time. Um, I don't even know if I've got it all right in my head, but I do think it's a topic that we need to be considering as a church, and I think it's good for us to even open it up and to look at it, um, even if it's just to consider it again. Because if we are going to be successful in our How Can We Love You and our outreach programs to the area around us, um, these are the types of things that we will need to be considering. How are we going to do it well? So the only way I can think of even trying to do this is, as I said, by looking at the example of Jesus. How did he love those whom he found difficult to love? And we're going to be looking at John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. John chapter 13 is um, John's depiction of the Last Supper. He doesn't go through um, the distribution of bread and the wine in the same way as the other gospel writers do. But he mentions this that a lot of other gospel writers, well, the other gospel writers didn't mention the washing of his disciples' feet. So John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. 
And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured, a wa- he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The more I think about this passage of scripture, the more extraordinary I find it. I have never experienced what Jesus would have been going through that evening. Jesus knew what was ahead of him. He knew that the next day he would be suffering horrendous torture, uh, scoffing and death. He knew the suffering that he was about to face. And as I was trying to think about it and think about what my reaction would be in those circumstances, I, the closest thing I could get to it was thinking back to when I used to go to boarding school in Zimbabwe. And it was quite a strict um, old British-style boarding school. And as you approached the time to leave home to go to that boarding school, there was a dread of what was ahead. You just knew that you didn't want to face that next day. And you wanted the people around you to be supporting you, to be loving you, to be there behind you. And just encouraging you, letting them know that they loved you and they were there for you. I don't know if you've experienced anything like that where you've dreaded doing something to that extent. Uh, Maybe it's been going into hospital for something or um, it could be doing anything else that you knew you had to do but you didn't want to do. And I'm sure that your reaction would have been the same as what I had, one of um, wanting others to acknowledge your pain, to acknowledge what you were going through, and um, saying to them, you know, I'm going through a tough time. Love me. Take care of me. And I'm sure that Jesus, 
he was human would have felt some of these similar things. He would have wanted that care too, but that wasn't what happened. His disciples were more concerned about themselves. If we read through this section in Luke, it tells us that his disciples were arguing among themselves as to who was the greatest. They were more concerned about where they stood in relation to each other than what was happening to Jesus. They weren't there for him. Um, John also tells us that Jesus knew that Judas was the one who was going to betray him. So can you imagine Jesus spending his last supper with the man who was betraying him to that suffering and death? Can you imagine what Jesus must have felt as he knelt down before Judas and washed his feet? What would have been going through his head? Then there was Peter, who in the very same conversation, at the very same meal, said that he was willing to lay down his life for Jesus, yet Jesus knew that he would not stick by him when the going got tough, that he would collapse, he would run away, and he would struggle. Yet Jesus was able to tell him that he was clean. Philip, in chapter 14, doesn't understand who Jesus is, and he wants to see the Father. And Jesus has to explain to his disciples time and time again who he is, why he has come, and what he is going to go through. So, On a scale of people who are difficult to love, his disciples would have been difficult to love at this point, I think. They were needy. They were always wanting more than they could give. They didn't listen to Jesus, or at least they didn't understand him. They were unreliable. They were not going to stick by him. And one of them was even plotting his death. So how do we love people like that? John says in uh, chapter 13, verse 1, that Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The New American Standard Version says that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So we know that Jesus loved them to the end. We know that he showed them the full extent of his love, but how did he do it? And I'm going to suggest at least a couple of ways that he did this. Firstly, while Jesus was aware that, um, that his disciples were going to let him down, I don't think he expected any different. He didn't expect too much from his disciples. Um, You may think that he had an advantage here. He had created humans. He was there in the creation process. And so he would know human nature and would know his disciples and would be able to take a back foot and and understand that they were going to fail him. But if anything, he had a disadvantage. He was the only man who lived a perfect life. So understanding people who were imperfect must have been harder for him. It should be easier for us to forgive those who fail us because we so often fail others. Um, We're not perfect either. It's a bit like the parable of the unforgiving servant who owed the king vast amounts of money, yet when he went to the king and he begged for forgiveness, um, the king forgave him an amount that he would never be able to pay back. Yet, as 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 the servant left the king, he found another servant who owed him a small amount of money And he had him thrown in prison for not paying him back immediately. 
So for us, when we're trying to love those who are difficult to love, it's good for us to remember that we too are limited. That, they are, that people around us are limited too. They're not going to get it right every time. And if we understand our limitations and we understand that other people are limited too, then I think we'll be more easily able to forgive them um, because they're not perfect. When we fail to forgive others because of their faults when they let us down, it shows that we're not really aware of what we have been forgiven when we let God down. We're not really aware of what Christ has done for us on the cross. The amazing thing about Jesus was that he was able to forgive their faults even though he had no fault of his own. And he was able to forgive his disciples before they even sinned. He was able to say to Peter, um, before he had even failed him, that he was clean. He was able to reassure him of that. Max Licardo says this, that relationships do not thrive because the guilty are punished, but because the innocent are merciful. Relationships do not thrive because the guilty are punished, but because the innocent are merciful. So that's one thing that we need to learn as we try to love those we find difficult to love, is that we need to be merciful. We need to be able to forgive them for the things that they do against us. The second way I believe that Jesus was able to love the people around him, the people whom we would find difficult to love, was because he did not just focus on his own needs. He saw the needs that his disciples were facing too. Though Jesus was facing a particularly tough time, um, obviously, he also realized that this would be a tough time for his disciples. He realized that his disciples would be confused at the fact that the person that they thought was the Messiah was going to die, and they didn't think the Messiah would come to die. He knew that Peter would struggle because he denied him and struggle, and that he would, he would really have to fight with that. So he was able to wash Peter's feet. He was able to show him love by eating his last meal with him. He was able to say to him, you are clean, when he washed his feet. And he was able to reassure all of the disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them. He knew, too, that there would be confusion um, over who was the greatest or who was the least among the disciples, who was going to lead the disciples when he was gone. Um, they were already arguing over it in the meal. And so he was able to take the place of the least, to excuse them of any embarrassment of having to take the place of the least, any of them, and he was able to take that place of the least, wash their feet, and and take away any shame in serving. He was able to, to make them all equal. Under him. And I'm sure that you'll be able to spot other ways in, if you read through the passages of the Last Supper in which Jesus was able to see their needs and to meet them at this time. Even just in providing the supper as a way of remembering him, um, his life and his death was a way of meeting their needs and a way of meeting our needs too. And I believe that this is a principle that we can learn as we seek to love those who are difficult to love. The principle is not just looking to our own needs, but looking to the needs of others. If we find people difficult to love um, because they're not there for us during difficult times in our lives, 
Maybe we need to consider what they are going through at those times, the difficulties that they are facing, and maybe we will be more aware of, um, of how difficult it is for them maybe to love us at that point and be easier for us to love them. So loving those who are difficult to love is easier when we consider the fact that no one is perfect and the fact that we let people down too. It's easier when we do not focus solely on our own needs but also the needs of others. But it will not come easy. It requires sacrifice and it requires spending time with those people. It's very difficult to love anyone from a distance. Um, Jesus tells us that... um, This type of love will not be easy. He says in John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, that my command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus did not love us in a half-hearted manner. He is not just nice to us when he feels like it or when it's convenient to him. Jesus loves us fully and sacrificially. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he calls us to do the same. My command is this, love each other, as I have loved you. So we are to love others, not giving out of the much that we have, but giving all of ourselves to them. And the joy of it is this, that it does not matter how much we have to start with. It does not matter what gifts or resources we have. Um, we can all love, love others with all that we have. Um, it does not, it's not what we have that counts, it's what we do with it that counts. It's what we do with what we have that shows the extent of our love. It's a bit like the story of the woman who put her last pennies into the temple collection. Jesus said that she had given more than all of the others because she had given all that she had, whereas the others had given out of what they had to spare. Loving the unlovable is not easy. It requires sacrifice. It requires hard work. And it requires forgiveness. But we should not be surprised by this. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So although loving the unlovable is not easy, I also believe that loving those who are difficult to love will be rewarding. It's precisely because it is not easy that it will have a huge impact. Loving somebody in a sacrificial way will change their lives. In a world where everyone is out for what they can get, somebody who loves sacrificially will stand out. It will make people ask questions, and it will bring people to Jesus. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So although it's hard work, it's going to be fulfilling too. I know that whenever I've experienced uh, serving God in any way, whether it be in uh, doing camps, youth work, um, short-term missions, even this getting up to preach, I always find I get more from the experience than what I put into it. Um, 
the more you put into something, the more sacrifices you make, the more you seem to get back from it. God knows us. He made us, and he knows how we should work best. Um, And I believe that if we live our lives the way that he intended us to, then we'll find that that is the the right way to live and the most joyful way to live. Um, We will find that that is how we will be at most at peace when we're doing things his way. Jim Elliott um, was a missionary. He was in... um, He was martyred for his faith. He was trying to reach an unreached people group in Ecuador. And he went and spent time with them. They were quite a violent group. Um, They were headhunters and cannibals. And um, he ended up being killed for his faith. And this is something that he wrote in his diaries. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the love and kindness that you have shown to us. And that while we were still sinners, before we were even seeking you, while we were as unlovable as we could get, you sent your son to die for us, showing us the full extent of your love. We pray that you help us to obey your command to love others in the same way that you have loved us. Help us to forgive others their faults in the way that you have forgiven us our faults. Help us to see their needs and not just our own needs. Give us the courage to love them in a sacrificial way so that others may know that we are your disciples, that we belong to you and that we love you. Lord, make us more and more aware of the extent of your love for us this week, and help us in turn to extend that love to the people that we meet. In Jesus' name, amen.